0: it. Open your Bibles to Galatians 1. The clock up here is broken. It, it uh, deceived Pastor Joe this morning, and he went a little long, and so to make that up, I plan to go a little longer, just just to be fair. I think that's only right, and that'll be good. So Galatians 1, look at verse 11. Galatians 1, verse 11. But I certify you, brothers, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men, Neither received it of neither I received it of men, Neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus. For you have heard of my conversation or my lifestyle in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above my, my many equals in my own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, I immediately conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went up to Jerusalem to them that were apostles. Uh, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them that were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. And other and other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write to you, behold, before God, I Lie not. Afterwards, I came to the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was known by face uh, and was unknown by face under the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in time past now preaches the faith which he once destroyed. And they glorified God in me. Then 14 years after, I went up to Jerusalem again with Barnabas and took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preached to the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run uh, in vain or for no reason. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brothers, unawares, brought in, who came in secretively to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, "...that they would bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection. No, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seemed to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it makes no matter to me. God accepts no man's person. For who, uh, for they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me, but contrariwise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed to me, as the gospel of the circumcision was to Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me to the Gentiles. And when James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the heathen, or the Gentiles, and they to the circumcision, only they would, that we should remember the poor, the same which I was forward to do. Over the past 10 years or so, cornhole is kind of a popular summer game for families' backyard picnics and get-togethers, and it's pretty simple. It's really like horseshoes without the iron pin and horseshoe-shaped iron missiles. And I say that because a game of horseshoes is not particularly safe. Played in the summertime around the same season as thunderstorms, It it can attract lightning, known to happen. Throwing hunks of metal through the air can also do damage, especially if someone is standing in the wrong spot. And you can lose teeth, get a concussion, worse. When I was growing up, the fun game was lawn darts. And those really are missiles. Weighted spikes thrown like horseshoes, like cornhole. Lawn darts were banned, though, in 1988 because they were so dangerous i used to remember the lawn darts commercials and then all of a sudden they were gone and the only way to buy them was at yard sales sure. loosely based on a weapon from ancient rome lawn darts were supposed to provide an afternoon of fun until they didn't after sadly seriously a little girl was killed in a lawn dart accident her dad went on a one man mission to get them banned and after some a study by scholars into lawn dart accidents, it was discovered around 6,000 children had gone to the hospital in about a five-year span from lawn dart accidents. Now, lawn darts are dangerous. I mean, who knew, right? But how about those buckyballs? Do you remember in the middle 2010s, those little metallic uh, magnet balls that you could buy, they string them together, kind of fun? They were discovered to be dangerous. I don't know why we just don't get everybody a G.I. Joe and just be done with it. But these buckyballs are those little magnets, and unfortunately, children love to swallow them. Now, if you swallow one, you're probably okay. But if you swallow 28, as one little girl did in Colorado, uh, that's going to be a problem. And the the problem is is in your intestines, they tend to stick together. Those magnets uh, uh, pinch and bind up your intestines and you have to have surgery to get rid of them. Uh, In 2013, by the way, they were banned in the United States. They recalled, but an appeals court overturned that in 2016. And apparently today you can still buy buckyballs and feed them to your children if you want, I guess. Now, buckyballs damage people's innards. And this is going to be the weirdest transition. Because they stick together. That's the key here. All of that for the buckyball sticking together. Do you know that when Christians stick together, they do damage to the enemies of the gospel? When we stick together, we do damage to unbelief, paganism, false teachers, cults, and idol worship. And and I think like magnets, we ought to be super sticky. God desires Christians to hold on to one another around the gospel. Let me say it this way. Our faith is just like a magnet. It attracts those who agree with the gospel and it repels those who disagree. As a church, we partner together to share the gospel in our community. And, and even with those who believe the gospel as we do, but attend a different church, our faith should be strong enough that we can develop lines of cooperation that encourage true Christian fellowship, presenting a united front against unbelief in our neighborhoods. I, th- I think this, kind, this is kind of what you're seeing in the passage in front of us. Now, remember, there's only one gospel. First 10 verses make that clear. This is the gospel, the one gospel that changes us, that blesses us, and that glorifies God. And because there's only one gospel, we have been told we must purge from our Christian fellowship any who teach a false gospel, because false teachers have no place in the church. And that leads us to our text, where we find, first, that this one gospel is a divinely given gospel, and second, that we must defend this gospel with or in partnership with others who preach and believe the same gospel that we do. So consider, first, we preach a divinely given gospel. It is by revelation of God. Look at verse 11 again. He says, I am telling you, I want you to know this, brothers. What, What does he want them to know? The gospel which was preached of me. So my message is not after man because I did not receive it from a man. I wasn't taught it by a man, but by Jesus Christ. The gospel is not something devised by human beings. It's something that human beings preach. Paul was a preacher of the gospel, and he preached that gospel to other humans, but it was not something that human beings on their own thought up out of thin air and Paul says it clearly I I want you to know this one gospel the true gospel is not man's it is not after a worldly philosophy and this sets up the gospel against all the other faiths the gospel is not compatible with hinduism or islam or mormonism or jehovah's witness or even roman catholicism in fact Paul had not even received his gospel from a human being, which kind of goes back to verse one, where Paul says, I was divinely appointed to preach this gospel. Similarly, his gospel is from God, just like he was God set him apart to be a preacher and apostle. So he says, God set apart the gospel message. So Paul set apart as a preacher, and his message is divinely set apart the one he preaches. So Jesus himself. To Paul, laid bare the facts of the case. Jesus unveiled the truth to Paul. Man didn't teach him this. That's our case. Somebody taught you the gospel. That's not true about Paul. It was by the revelation of God. This gospel was also by the provision of God. He says in verse 13, "You, You know my background. How serious of a Jew I was, above many equals in my own nation, more exceedingly zealous of my traditions of the fathers. But he says that all changed. Just as he said at the beginning of this chapter, chapter one, the gospel changes people. Paul says, I was changed. And though I once was zealous for Judaism, I'm now zealous for Christianity, for the truth. Paul says, look, I didn't even come up with this myself. As he reminisces of his pre-salvation experience, he he says, I was against this from the beginning. He says, you know my lifestyle in Judaism, in verse 13. He was a Pharisee, Philippians says, of the Pharisees. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. His name was Saulus, the first king of Israel, a Benjaminite. And he was zealous for the faith of Judaism above his equals, above his peers, so that he persecuted those who followed Jesus the followers of the way. But God changed Paul. And you remember that the gospel changes people. Every believer is called by grace. And this is what Paul says. By God's grace, he called me specifically to my present mission. So this was what something Paul began to do immediately after his conversion. He went to Arabia. And there is grand division of why he went there. Some people say he went there to to meditate, to study, to, to re-evaluate his life. Others say that's where he began his preaching ministry. Uh, I think he did go to Arabia for probably both of these reasons. But the fact is, is that this gospel, Paul says, that I preached to the heathen, to the Gentiles, it was a gospel that was divinely given. It was provided by God. And you notice then, it was confirmed by those who believe the same message. In verse 18, he says, after three years in Arabia, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and I stayed with him for 15 days. And then he says, I didn't see anybody else of note except James, the Lord's brother. Now, he went to Jerusalem to see those apostles who were there and he stays with the apostle Peter and he sees James, the pastor of the Jerusalem church. Now, the testimony of his ministry is, had spread through all the gospelized regions around Jerusalem. So that when Paul arrives, here's what happens. Remember when he first gets saved? Acts tells us, everybody's saying, I don't know. I don't know about this guy. I don't know if we want to let him into our our congregation. He was just dragging people off to prison. He was involved in their persecution, even some murder. I I don't want Paul around. But then they say, in verse 23, they heard... That the one who had persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith that he once destroyed. And they glorified God. So the testimony of his ministry had spread throughout these regions. So as he went to Syria and the word of his ministry spread into Judea, those people now were glorifying God because of what God had done in Paul's life. Do do you see what I'm saying here, friends? It's simply this. We preach a divinely given gospel. God gave the gospel, he provided the gospel, and he confirms that gospel by others who believe it so that when they gather together, each one has an individual testimony and can say, this is how God has changed me. This is how God has blessed me for the glory of God. And that really is amazing. Now, if you agree then with me that we preach a divinely given gospel, then consider that our preaching is a defense of the gospel. We defend it, but not alone with others who believe and preach the same gospel. We are in partnership together defending the gospel. This is point number two. We defend the gospel with those who preach or believe the same gospel. We're in league together. So just as they saw Paul's ministry and now they rejoiced and glorified God, now Paul says, you know what's really great is the gospel that I'm preaching is the same gospel they're preaching and there's confirmation there. Partnership in the gospel is a partnership with other gospel preachers and believers. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. 14 years later, I go up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. Now the context from this point forward is going to be a conflict, he says. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them in Jerusalem the gospel that I preached to the Gentiles. Verse 3, but neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, Was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of these false brothers. Do you see this? Here's the conflict. So I want you to think of this like sports. You have teams that are in conflict, right? Competition. They're they're against each other. And the Judaizers, let's just, they're team one. They're the Judaizer team. These are the false brothers in chapter 2 and verse 4 who wanted to force Titus to adopt circumcision to be circumcised because in being circumcised he would be adopting Judaism as a condition of salvation now let me ask you something when you got saved did someone say to you okay you know we're going to repent and we're going to believe the gospel but before you do that we've got to make sure that you're Jewish you know shalom did anybody do that with you Oh no But you didn't didn't have your salvation experience in first century Jerusalem. You've got these people here who Acts 15.2 says were teaching unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved, quote unquote. That's exactly their gospel. Now, Paul's already told us that this is a false gospel. And it's bad because he says in verse 4, it brings you back in bondage to the law and it destroys your spiritual liberation from the demands of the law that we have in Christ. These false brothers were preaching a false and a cursed gospel. That's team one. Now you have team two. Paul's apostolic team. And Paul's team... They're, they're in competition. They're, they're in conflict with the Judaizers team. Paul's apostolic team, he says, that's Paul and Barnabas and Titus at this point. You go other places in the Bible, you find others that join Paul's team. But Paul's team here, these are the he's writing to the Galatian believers, chapter 1 and verse 2, and he talks about the brothers who are with him. That's, Paul, that's Barnabas and Titus. And this brotherhood, How was it developed? How did people become brothers together spiritually? Titus and Paul, well, they're different ethnically. Paul was a Jew. Titus was Greek. And so how did they form a brotherhood? As we heard this morning, through the adoption by the gospel. Adoption into the family of God. First John chapter 1 and verse 3, John says, let me tell you why I'm sharing my message with you so that we can have koinonia, fellowship, union together. We can actually be one because of the gospel, spiritually speaking. So Paul says, we, all of us, my team, verse 5, chapter 2, verse 5, look at what he says. We are preaching the truth Of the gospel. So you have the Judaizer team that's preaching. Unless you conform your life and accept the law of Moses, you can't be saved. Paul says, nope, not at all. We're preaching a completely different gospel. It's the true gospel. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now the possible motive for this trip. He's been in Arabia for three years. Now, 14 years later, he's jumping over some time here. He's going to Jerusalem. And he's going here. And then he meets a third team. And let's call this James's team. Team James, okay? We need to get a grip on the timing of this visit for just a moment, all right? There are three Jerusalem trips that Paul makes, three journeys, near the beginning of his ministry, and it kind of confuses people, all right? This, this trip, uh, Paul says, he went to visit Peter. Do you, do you remember that, where he saw James? That was at the beginning. He went to see Peter, Stay with him 15 days. Let's call that visit number one. Then you have, in Acts 15, you have a reference to Paul making another visit to Jerusalem. That's the Jerusalem council. Let's call that visit number three. Okay? You have visit number one. That's when he goes up, stays with Peter 15 days, and he meets James. He just sees him. They have some interaction. Now we have a trip in Acts 15, The Jerusalem council, Paul and Barnabas go up there and they're having a discussion about this problem with Judaizers. Let's call that visit number three. The visit he's referring to here, after 14 years, this visit, this is a different visit altogether. And it's actually referenced in Acts 11 and verse 30. And in that visit, let's call this visit number two, there was a famine in Judea and Paul was bringing relief to the Christians who were there. He and Barnabas went up to Jerusalem to bring uh, supplies, kind of like a disaster relief. You have a hurricane on the coast, a whole bunch of people go down, take food and gasoline, all the things you need, uh, start cutting down all the trees that fell and getting rid of all that stuff off the roads and helping people clean up, right? Disaster relief. This was uh, Paul's disaster relief mission. So that's visit number two. So this visit that we're talking about right here, this is visit. Number 2 it's not the Jerusalem council visit that's going to be later that's going to kind of kind of conclude the problem that Paul's addressing here but Paul's actually a little ahead of the Jerusalem council Jerusalem is where this problem of judaizers are and these and the and the believers even James and Peter they're still kind of struggling to figure out how to handle these judaizers i mean they're immersed in the problem let's give them a little grace right they're immersed in the problem But Paul has been outside this problem and he's looking in and going, no, 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 no. You cannot even for a moment tolerate the idea that somebody has to become a Jew in order to be saved. We can't tolerate that. So he goes up and it says he delivers his gospel message. Do you see the quote here? To them that were of reputation. He tells them, and who are those at reputation? Look at verse 9. He kind of uh, draws back the curtain to James and Peter and John. Those three, and he said they seem to be pillars. He says these people are really important. And it's really kind of interesting because not in a snarky way at all, but just in a matter of fact way, he says, let me just tell you about people. People are people are people are people are people. And nobody is more important than another. It's interesting, Paul is not going there to confirm that the gospel he's been preaching is the right gospel. He's not showing up to say, now I've been telling people that you've got to repent and believe in Jesus, that he died, was buried, rose again the third day, that, that you've got to accept Jesus as your Lord. I've been teaching people this as I've been traveling around. I've been preaching this gospel. And I just want to make sure, Peter, James, and John, I want to make sure that what I've been preaching is what you all think the gospel is. I can see if you read that, you might get that impression. But that's not what Paul is doing here. Paul, in actually saying that people are just people, in fact, you see that in verse 6, but of these who seemed to be somewhat, whatever they were, I don't really care. It makes no matter to me. God accepts no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. He he says, it doesn't matter. There are no special Christians. Do you you know what Paul does right here in this verse, this one verse? Imagine being Martin Luther and reading that verse. What what can't you have if if every Christian has the same position in Christ before God what doesn't really exist? A what? Think about Luther and Catholicism. What doesn't exist? How about the Pope? I mean, <laughs> there's no special Christian. There's no special pontiff who's a bridge to God. That's ridiculous. In fact, Paul is not confirming his gospel Do you know what Paul is doing, I think? He's going to Jerusalem to test them. He's going to see, are these people who for years grew up with Jesus, who were discipled, and who went and preached the first gospel message there at Pentecost, and and these who started this church, are they really authentic, or have they been so in by Judaism that they're now preaching a false gospel because remember Paul says if I come back and preach another gospel or even an angel from heaven comes and preaches another gospel let him be accursed." so he says even if it was Peter or James or John James is the Lord's brother if he's preaching a false gospel he's cursed so Paul's examining them and then what happens here is really beautiful because team Paul and team James remember you got the three teams Team Paul and Team James confirm that they preach and believe the same gospel. Paul goes to Jerusalem by Revelation, chapter 2 and verse 2. That's why he was there. God told him to be there with his team. And he, his team meets the other team. And, and I don't know what's better. I mean, here, you pick, pick your side, right? I mean, it's this is your fantasy Christian team. <laughs> like fantasy football, okay? You get to draft first. You, who are you going to take? Take Paul? Fine. I'll take uh, I'll take Peter, and then you say who are you going to take? Uh, I'll take Barnabas. He's with Paul. Okay. I'll take uh, James. Well, who are you going to take? Uh, I'll take John. You know. I mean, you're just. That's kind of how it seems. You got these two teams, and it's like a fantasy team on one side, meeting a fantasy Christian team on the other. And what they discover in conference is that Paul's gospel message is identical to Peter's message. Now, they had different audiences. Look at verse 7. When they saw the gospel of this uncircumcision was committed to me as the gospel of the circumcision was to Peter. Does that seem like they're two different gospels? Look look at the text again. Look at verse 7. Does it seem the gospel of the one and the gospel of the other? Doesn't that sound like there are two different gospels? It kind of does. It kind of seems that way. How do we know it can't be that way? Because nowhere does Paul call them accursed. So what you have is not two different Gospels. You have two different audiences. The one audience is the Gentile audience. That's the uncircumcised. That's Titus. The other audience are the Jewish audience. That's the circumcised people. But both messages are the same. Both Gospels are identical. The details are the same. The facts of the Gospel are the same. Jesus was born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life, he died on a cross, he was buried in the ground, he rose from the dead, and he lives forevermore. He's Lord and Savior. He's King Potentate. That's who Jesus is. And this is the facts of the gospel. And the requirements of the gospel are the same. You must believe and obey it. And because the details are the same, Do you know what happens? The results are the same. Look at verse 8. If these were two different gospels, you would expect different results. But in verse 8, For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. So he says, look, Peter actually was really successful in preaching the gospel to Jewish people. And I was really successful in preaching the gospel to Gentile people. It's the same gospel message. Two different audiences with the identical results so with that in mind then i think we can say this gospel partnership that paul was now making with peter paul's team and james's team they're joining together this partnership is because they both believed the same gospel now with that in mind i think it makes sense to say then That gospel partnership with these other believers who, who agree with our message. We have the same message. You know what that is? That's antiseptic against infection by unbelievers. Paul says, this partnership reasserted the true gospel against false teaching. Paul wasn't at odds with James or Peter or John. You know, you know, And I think that's a really important distinction because, I mean, if you take out Luke, take out Luke, who wrote the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, and the Gospel of Mark is after who? Whose Gospel is the Gospel of Mark? Well, most people think that's Peter's Gospel. Then you've got Luke, and that's, by the way, Paul's Gospel. And then you've got John, okay? And then you've got Acts, that's Luke. So take Luke out. You've got Matthew and Mark. Mark is kind of related to Peter. You got John. You have Acts. That's Luke. So we remove Luke. Then you've got Romans. And Romans begins those letters of Paul to those churches. And by the way, there are seven of them. And do you know what the early church believed? That there were seven Pauline letters because there were seven churches in Revelation 2 or 3. That was kind of the connection that they made in their minds as they were canonizing the New Testament but then you go through the Pauline epistles and then you get to the general epistles and we're not entirely sure who wrote Hebrews, but then you have James and then you have Peter and then you have John and beside Jude. So you take out Luke, you take out Matthew, you take out Jude and everything else is written by the people standing in that room. Your 27 books of the New Testament were primarily written. And Luke was with Paul most of the time on these journeys, right? You realize the people standing in that room wrote your Bible. And because your Bible agrees, even in areas where the people in the room might have had some disagreement, and they were human beings, they were bound to have disagreements. They agreed on the gospel. And you know what's really interesting? I was thinking about this and I realized that when you agree in terms of the facts and the requirements and the results of the gospel, you really can't have Christian fellowship. This is how, in my mind, people who hold to a reformed view of scripture, a reformed view of doctrine, and people who hold to a dispensational view of doctrine and scripture. And you may not understand those terms, and that's okay. They are really quite different. How they read the Bible ends up being a little different. How how they come in terms of uh, all the theologies, there are some differences there. But do you know what? They really have a, a great deal in common because they preach the same gospel. I have only left one church preaching service in my life. Now, there have been times when I've done this, you know, wham, <laughs> my wife and I were talking about it on our drive the other day. and She says, I always know when you're upset, when you're listening to preaching, if your Bible closes, if I do, if I do that, it's, you know, I'm done with you. I, I listened as long as I could and, I, and it's over. I'm done. I'm not thinking about sports or something <laughs> more valuable than whatever it is you're saying. Uh, that's, a, that's kind of how it ends up. But I was sitting there and I was listening to a man who holds to a dispensational position. That's the position I hold to. And he was denigrating and he was insulting people who hold to a reformed position. And what he said about them were lies. They were were insults. And, And I did slam my Bible. And after that, I put my Bible in my little bag I had and zipped it up nice and loud. And I thought, Well, there's nothing left for me to do. And I got up and I walked out. It made me that upset. Because these are our brothers in Christ. Do, Do you realize here the gospel is the means by which we have fellowship with each other? And it's the reason we separate from people. We fellowship with those who are our partners in the gospel. We may not agree about everything. We may have different audiences to whom we are preaching, and because of that, it may shift emphases from time to time. But if another person believes the gospel of God, unless there is some glaring reason in his life, some horrible disobedience that he refuses to repent from and turn away from, then he's my brother. And and woe be it to me if I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with him that while on earth I say, I'm going to have nothing to do with you. I'm, I'm part of an organization. I'm the vice president of an organization in Ohio. And I was really saddened years ago. This happened years ago. One of our missionaries... Um, was is out of the church where this organization is based um, i won 't say the missionary, but one of our one of the people we support. so you know how I feel about the guy we support this guy he 's out of that church in Ohio. and somebody who came to our yearly meeting said to our leadership, If that guy who is now our missionary, if he 's there we 're not going to be there because we've separated from him. And I I was just going, how now? Why would you separate from him? What in the world did he do? And here's the reason why. Are you ready for it? Because he had said something positive. He had said one little word in a blog he wrote that was positive. Positive. Not like support or lifting up or exalting, just not negative about Southern Baptists. (laughs) And because of that, I said, we can't let Pastor Joe come down here. They're going to find out he's going to a Southern Baptist school and they're going to kick me out. Oh, I'll go dragging and kicking and screaming, let me tell you. It'd be awesome. You've got to be kidding. At the same time, friends, we have to disfellowship with those who oppose the gospel. If they oppose the gospel, and, and this is the strange part, because there are people who, because you don't have the same translation, they'll separate from you or because your women don't wear uh, a garment that has one leg hole, they wear garments with two leg holes, they will separate from you. I'm not making that up, by the way. I wish that I were. Or if you decide to watch a video in a room with a bunch of strangers on a really big screen, or you decide to later rent it from the A little box outside the grocery store, and watch it at home. It may be the same video. It may be a worse video. But it's okay because of where you watched it. Now that's—I'm just telling you—that's nonsense. But they'll separate over that. But those same people who are separating over all those other things then embrace people who preach a false gospel who preach things like you don't have to repent of your sins. You just have to believe And If you just believe and it's casual, so you've got people actually going, get this, going up the houses. Hi, my name is Matt. I'm with College Park Baptist Church. And uh, we're here telling people about Jesus Christ today. Are you 100% sure if you die today, day, go to heaven? You aren't? Okay, bow your head. Pray this prayer. I'm going to bow my head. You bow your head. And then boom, I, and I've got a guy with me, and we now bow our heads, and we begin praying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, I know I'm a sinner, uh, please save me from my sin. And the other guy here on the, store, on the doorstep, he's going, what in the world? And he's just standing there with a funny look on his face. He's not praying, he's not doing anything. And all of that ends, I'm not making this up, am I? Am I making this up? This is true, isn't it? This is absolutely true. Pastor Joe can tell you from personal experience, this is absolutely true. And then they go back and they get in a big room and they say, man, I led 10 people to Jesus. Amen. I led 15 people to Jesus. Amen. And it's a lie. That's a cursed. That's a curse. But I'm supposed to fellowship with those people because we use the same music or translation or this or that or the other. Or women wear the leg hole thing that's just right. I'm supposed to fellowship with those people because we do these cultural things the same, but I can't fellowship with people who actually believe the same gospel that I believe and worse I'm supposed to fellowship with these people because of those cultural things, even though they preach a false gospel now I'm going to tell you something friends that is satanic and and it it just i will I will not stand for it here. I, I would happily lose all of my jobs and end up in the poorhouse before I would tolerate that. I, I just can't imagine, but this is where we're at. Paul's message to the Galatians that repudiated the demands of the Old Testament law on a believer was the truth of the gospel. And the Judaizing people who said, you've got to be like Moses in order to be saved was a false gospel. It could not be allowed to stand, which is why Paul and Titus refused to circumcise Titus Titus says, not because he was afraid of the pain that he would go through, and probably painful, and it's not because he was worried about some sort of religious result of going through circumcision. It was just the fact that circumcision doesn't mean anything. So he said, because it doesn't mean anything, I'm not Jewish, I'm Greek, I don't have to do this, and worse, if I do this, it will give other people the impression that they have to do this. Paul and Titus said, no, we're not going to do this. And the refusal to be circumcised was confirming that the gospel did not require Judaism. Now, once these people agreed to all this, it reasserted then ministry strategy for both groups. In terms of evangelism, verse 9, Team James then says, we'll concentrate on the Jews. And the Paul's team said, we'll concentrate on the Gentiles. And even better at the end in verse 10, in terms of charity. Why is Paul there? Because he's bringing food for people. They said, would you just keep on doing that? And Paul says, absolutely. The Christian gospel is motivated by a love for people, and thus Christian charity should adorn the gospel message. This means caring for people who are poor. And in this case, it meant referring to people who have no other means of support they were completely cut off from any kind of financial they had no no money there were there's no government safety net they are impoverished and Paul says we're going to make sure we take care of those people you can read more about that in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and if you understand then what i've been talking about tonight it's simply this folks there are christians all around us who do believe the gospel to them we should stick like a like a horrible buckyball right stick together. In the intestines of false teaching, that's a colorful way of looking. We should stick together. But if they don't believe the gospel, we should want nothing to do with them. Let's pray, Lord. Help us now.